Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Suicide Squad. Gentlemen, ladies, what if Superman had decided to fly down, rip off the roof of the White House, grab the president right out of the Oval Office? Who would have stopped him? build a team of some very bad people who I think can do some good. Y'all jokers must be crazy. What? This is the deal. You disobey me, you die. Try to escape, you die. You got a boyfriend? You irritate or vex me. I'm known to be quite vexing. I'm just forewarning you. You die. You don't own me. If they get caught, we throw them under the bus. Don't down, what a ride! Let's play! Come on, get some better at I love this guy. Not good. Don't forget, we're the bad guys. Are you sweet talking me? All of that chit chat's gonna get you hurt. The man in the back is ready to crack as he raises his hands to the sky. And the girl in the corner is everyone's fun. She can give you with a wink, wink of her eye. I was just trying to get you there. No hard feelings, right? We good. What you having? Beer. Whiskey. What am I, 12? How about you, hot stuff? Water. That's a good idea, honey. After Batman v Superman, many people were holding out for this movie to deliver a slice of original ghoulish fun, maybe a groundbreaking way of delivering us a majorly influential first supervillain picture, paving the way for the Sinister Six and the Thunderbolts. To put it mildly, very few movies are going to be attempting to recreate the specific cocktail we got on screen here. Time for another autopsy of how a major studio managed to multi-bugger an important release. If you really enjoyed Suicide Squad, we're actually glad. At least somebody did, but we suspect that you're in a minority here. Joining us for another heavy dose of taking DC Warner to task over their perpetual bad decisions since 2008, we are very thrilled to welcome back Bob, Movie Bob Chipman of ScreenRant and Geek.com. Hey, how's it going, guys? How's it going, Bob? From our Star Trek shows, Mr. Brendan Agnew of the Day One podcast. Pleasure to be here. And another longtime friend of the show, Mr. James Midgemeister Perkins of the Digital Fix Film Podcast. Hello. Okay, so uh, Sharon hadn't seen this movie, but I ran her through roughly what happens this morning. It took nearly an hour because each bit doesn't relate to the next bit. It's, <laughs> it's, it's an editing clusterfuck. So uh, we, are we able to, between us, sum up this movie's plot from beginning to end within the first five minutes of this show? Some folks might be wondering, by the way, whether to see it first. I don't actually think we can spoil it. In fact, if you listen to what we say, 
you might actually enjoy it a bit more because at least you'll know what it is going in as opposed to being blindsided by what was that? Go for it. So anyone want to sort of describe roughly what happens in this film? Well, Escape from New York fucked the new Ghostbusters movie and <laughs> that's Suicide Squad. That's terrible, but possibly true. Yeah. I mean, it basically turns into the last act of it's another sky portal of death with a random CGI bad guy at yeah. the very end. Those things aren't going away, are they? Are they the new I planned to be caught all along bad guys? <laughs> oh, but it's so much worse than that. I like, you know, the whole I planned to be caught bad guy thing at least tends to lead to some tense scenes, even if it is repetitive. But the whole big swirly thing, it's it's basically just Goza turning up and going, you know, choose and perish. But <laughs> that was obviously all about, you know, the Ghostbusters themselves rather than dealing with a swirly thing. Okay, so... Uh, the very, very, very short of it is there's a prison and in the prison are a bunch of metahumans and a government uh, agent named Amanda Waller decides that rather than just letting them languish in prison, she's going to use their abilities to uh, for extra normal scenarios. So something goes terribly wrong. One of their number goes AWOL and starts creating chaos in a city, which promptly and conveniently empties. And so she sends in the remaining members of the Suicide Squad to deal with this member. They deal with this member, go back to jail, the end. Is that about right? About yeah, right? I think you've just saved people uh, <laughs> quite a bit of money, especially uh, if you if, if you were planning on seeing it in IMAX, because that's what yeah. I did. Well, Jeez. I mean, like, you know, you could say that about any movie. You could say, you know, a big boat tries to sail to America, fails and sinks. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but uh, okay, right, well, let, let's get Bob in on this because uh, Bob, you said in your review that this whole thing felt compromised and corporate mandated, like an urbanized marketing team with stencil graffiti. Uh, can you elaborate on these feelings here, please? Because it really it, co- it covers a lot of what's wrong with this film. Well, I think uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to tread carefully overall, only because I'm I'm struck in you know looking into you know the the unfolding stories of how this happened. Okay. You know, there's, uh, you know, I'm starting to hear things that I can't corroborate. Okay. But uh, in terms of what wound up on screen, uh, it really does feel, I mean, there's a lot I have to object to about this movie, but a thing that really kind of stuck on it with me was that aesthetically it's doing this business where it really wants to, to, to sell you on the idea that this is an edgy movie. This is, this is so grim and so dark and we're nasty and we're doing something different. So look at our bad guys and, you know, look at this, they're, they're being bad. Look, one of them said a naughty word. That, that, <laughs> it's this very weird sense that, it's trying all of this business and none of it is coming from an authentic place. Or if it was coming from an authentic place, it's had the authentic things about it pulled out mm. very messily along the way. And what's left is this very kind of, you know, it, it's a PG-13 rated movie, which follows in succession a movie that was basically R-rated in Batman versus Superman mm. And really insists upon the idea that it is the dark, mean, nasty version of a superhero movie. And it's really just like every other, you know, not good one that's come out. You know, right down to the to the big portal in the sky thing. Mm. I saw that come up and I'm like, you're a kid. They can't actually be doing the shitting. <laughs> you know, 
Like this has to be, this has to be a joke. This has to be, okay, we're deliberately doing the same action setup as the Avengers to like take the piss out of the Avengers, you know, because these are the bad guy Avengers. So other things are going to happen when they get there. And no, they're just doing it because that's what you do now in a, a not a hundred percent in reality action movie now is you run toward the big blue light and fight the bad guy. Mm. And I, I look at this and I really wonder, cause for a while you could just blame this on the Avengers that this was okay. The Avengers did this effect that people hadn't really seen in a movie before with this sort of one visual gimmick and okay, now everyone's going to do it. But like it's in, in the both Ninja Turtle movies end like this, this ends like this. Fantastic. That's got the swirly thing in the sky. Yeah, Fantastic Four did that. Um, the the first Amazing Spider-Man movie had had the big blue thing in the sky. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm I'm looking at this and I'm wondering, you know, is was I wrong that this is a ripoff from Avengers? Is this more that now that's like what Google Maps look like looks like to people? Is that you're walking toward a you know a a, a big stalk in the middle of the map? And that's what this this is now for the reference. But I don't know. It's just bizarre that it's there. And it, it's another thing. It's one of many things in the movie that feels like there was something more specific and more interesting there at one point, mm. and they had to take it out. So now we're back with a uh, with a big light. Oh, Ghostbusters! The new Ghostbusters also ends yep. with a, you know with with a with a big hole, but that one's in the ground. So that's completely different, I guess. I'm- well, and this one is also so poorly explained and developed but with the Avengers and even with the new Ghostbusters, you're kind of given a reason for this is what it does. And this is sort of how it works. Maybe it's powered by ghosts or magic stones or whatever. But with this, it's, they say it's a machine, but it doesn't, it just looks like magic. And I guess a bomb blows it up just because it can, that it, it, it's barely explained at all as to what it does or what it is or how it works. Yeah. yeah. It, it's definitely apparent uh, that the script was uh, only written in six weeks because I didn't realize that, but I kind of guessed that that was what had happened. And then researching it after seeing the film, mm. I was like, "Yeah, I can totally see that this was this was this was really rushed and just was just slapped on screen because they felt the need that they had to get it out." You can add Man of Steel and Thor: The Dark World to that sort of list of big, swirly, giant death machine things that are destroying a city to, yeah. to, that, to that list. Transformers, a, all the Transformers have a big swirly thing that's going to try and destroy a city. Yeah, yeah, they, they, it, 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 it's a weird thing because it's, I can't think of anything real that happened that this is like drawing on that it would be like a collective memory for. Mm. In the way, not in the way that like the falling buildings at the beginning of uh, Be- Beavis Dodge, like with you know obviously riffing on nine eleven times a thousand. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, like I understand. Like, well, it's like okay, yeah, now I. You know, we we know we know what this is now. You know, when mm. when you know when a movie takes place in the middle of you know a, a, a blown up downtown city, it's like okay, yes, I know this is collective nine eleven trauma. All right, fine. Mm. But like nowhere in the in the world in recent history has you know a big blue light in the sky been a problem. Oh, uh, X Men Apocalypse that had a big swirly uh, yeah. thing thanks to uh, Magneto. <laughs> I keep forgetting that happened. Yeah. <laughs> so did everyone else. Oh, Kung Fu Panda Three had a big swirly thing, didn't it? Like, wasn't it? There was like the, the they went into the spirit world. It's goddamn awful, awful installment in that series. So did yeah, Big Hero so- Six. If we're getting into animation, oh, Warcraft that had like a gate that was all swirly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it's a it's a go to maybe they, maybe it's just a, a a ready-made thing they have in After Effects. You just drag and drop it into your movie. A template. But stop doing it. 
Um, okay, so let's let's get down to the meat of this one, Sharon. There was um, you heard something regarding the editing of this film. We cannot corroborate this as true or false. It's just something we heard, and it would explain quite a lot. Yeah, I, I don't know how much they were involved, but it would appear that they had an original edit of the movie, presumably done by David Ayers, or at least with his um, his overseeing. Isn't it David Ayer? Ayer, singular. Sorry. David Ayer. I'm getting everybody's names wrong today. Yeah. Um, and they, it was felt to be too dark. So Your dark superhero movie is too dark. Well, That's not what we asked for. Actually, it? it's exactly, it's exactly what, you, what asked you asked for. But hey. But then everyone um, said Beavis Dodge was too dark, and now suddenly you don't know what you want. Indeed. So the guys who did the jazzing up of the original teaser trailer... Um, which was a, a, a team called Trailer Park, apparently were brought in to do some, um, you know, give us a cut of the movie that's a bit frothier and a bit more fun and a bit more lighthearted. Is it um, punching it up or is that uh, only if it's in the scripting phase? I, th- I think that's in the scripting phase. That That's literally the creating of jokes to insert in to make gotcha. it funnier wasn't there a thing about like that they were going to add extra funniness to it since it came it seems related yeah well they they did apparently the reshoots were speculated to be to create more funny scenes Mm -hmm. but people have said after people have said since that they actually went back to do reshoots to do more action not more humor right but they so they had two cuts of the mm. film. They had David Ayers and they had um, uh, the Trailer, the trailer Park, Park one. Again, I don't know that Trailer Park necessarily did it entirely on their own. I think it was more like they were brought in to advise on this alternative cut that was being made. And then they kind of looked at both of them. I'm not sure whether they showed them both to test audiences or just that the execs looked at both of them and eventually decided that they were going to make kind of a merged version of the two. A hybrid. Yes, which sounds like the most focus grouped, photoshopped, made by committee type movie that you don't want. Like every time Will Smith puts on his dead shot uh, face mask, it's like to please the fans. I do kind of wonder if there was Lindsay Nagel in the background going, could we rastify him maybe by 10%? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they put your further shit out of this. Um, I, I, David Ayer has gone on record as saying, this is totally my cut, which is the sort of thing that you might say if the uh, studio told you, fall on your sword, otherwise you won't get work with Warner Brothers anymore. Yeah. Tell them this is your version. Yeah, and, it, and it's, it's not an uncut. No one gets final cut. Mm. You know, like the, the I'm trying to think of living filmmakers who have final cut written in their contracts. Spielberg. Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> Spielberg is one. Clint Eastwood is one. David Ayer isn't one of them. Good old Clint Eastwood. Yeah. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't have anything against – I don't really have anything against David Ayer. I like most of his movies actually, not so much this one. But, you know, the, the uh, you have to watch whenever someone says, you know, this is my cut of the movie. That can mean anything from, you know, yes, I supervised and said yes to this cut. You know, it can also just mean I was there for it. Mm. You know, I was in the editing. Directors get shut out of their own editing rooms for these movies all the time. Oh, yeah. And and then they go on Junket and they don't talk about that. The fact that we're hearing and, you know, the, the, the story about Trailer Park cutting a different version of the movie, 
that has been corroborated. That was reported in the Hollywood Reporter. All right. Uh, you know, three days before the movie came out, you know, when the bad reviews started to hit was this is what happened because that's a pretty a pretty drastic way to go about it. Usually when the studio cuts a different version of the movie to test, you know, they're cutting different scenes or they're the, the, the producers are cutting it themselves, bringing in another firm, specifically the marketing team that did the trailer. Uh, you know, which is one of those things a lot of people don't realize is trailers are not made by the studios. They're not made by the, the filmmakers. Usually they're made by firms who only cut trailers. And because they cut trailers, they're given access to all of the scenes and all of the stuff yeah. to make the trailer out of. So the testing two different cuts is not too much of an unusual scenario. The fact of how they did it is the idea that they looked at the trailer and said, okay, we hired someone to cut a trailer for our movie. Everyone likes it, but the trailer is completely different from what the movie is. Maybe we should see what the movie is that looks like that. That's new. Yeah. Because it, also they, they, they reorganized the trailer to, to respond to like, in a, this whole thing is a reaction to Batman v Superman. This yeah. whole like this, they shaped and reshaped this movie based on how people reacted. And, and this is, we, we said this back when we, when we were doing uh, B, BVS. Warner doesn't really know what it wants. It just knows it doesn't want to do the Marvel thing. And uh, it's it, it's almost like it, it will tap dance around doing the Marvel thing, avoiding everything of quality that is connected with that in order to please audiences somehow. And I think what's, what you've been talking about with the, the the recutting of the film trying to match a trailer's vibe is part of what leads to the film feeling so artificially rebellious or so surface-level uh, street, um, like, like Bob talked about uh, both in his review and, um, and on Twitter. It's because it is just so trying to take what they already had, which was probably something a little bit darker and more genuinely mean edged and just like pouring some sugar over and making it slightly funnier mm -hmm. because they just knew they didn't want BVS all over again. Mm. Let's talk about some good stuff. Like, Cause we, we've already been like, it's, it's a mess. We can tell you that right now. We could go run through every incoherent scene, but we'll, we'll, I, I will say straight off that there, there are bits in this movie that I'm like, hang on, what was that about? And then it just moves on. The, the point that you made, Bob, about um, the big reveal of, oh, actually, Rick Flagg has been, um, you know, boyfriend with uh, uh, Enchantress for, for quite a while, being there at the point of the movie where you're like, well, we know. This isn't that much of a huge deal. What, in fact, why, why do the rest of the Suicide Squad even care <laughs> at this point? That, it, it seems like that at that stage in the movie, you were going to get a flashback to the, sort of the, the earlier stuff, or maybe that was part of the reshoots. But no, apparently the reshoots were all the action. And I don't know what the ending was originally, or I'm not even sure who the villain was necessarily originally. I think mm. when you were we were watching the first few trailers, I was like, right, well, so is the Joker the villain? Because that would have been better movie, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. It Maybe be. not this Joker, but a Joker. <laughs> yeah, but we'll get to Jared Leto's Joker when we're finished with the what was good about this movie section. Okay, so what was good about this movie? I, I'll, I'll say straight up, Viola Davis as Amanda Waller, I really liked. 
Um, I, I've I've always liked the Amanda Waller played by CCH Pounder in the uh, the animated shows. She's always been, um, you know, dead on just this sort of stern taskmaster kind of like uh, Nick Fury, but maybe even more unscrupulous and more manipulative. And uh, the, the fact that they didn't choose necessarily a big name, I think, was it you who mooted Oprah, Bob? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, that that would have been inspired. I'm not sure whether Oprah would have done it, but. Um, uh, Viola Davis, they, they they went for an extremely talented actress. If anyone's not, well, see The Help. She is fan-fucking-tastic in The Help. Uh, and possibly just because Amanda Waller just has to be professional throughout this whole thing and has some great lines and she delivers them well, she kind of comes away from this whole thing smelling of roses. Well, she does in a way. I, I love Amanda Waller as written in this movie up until maybe about the last few minutes she's on screen because yeah. it does something that the film does with a lot of its female characters in that it makes them wholly beholden to its male characters. You mean kidnaps them, turns them upside down? Or just has them like basically have to be, you know, rescued slash subservient to their secret cameo that everyone already knows about because the internet is the internet now. Yeah. So I, I love that she is, you know, I mean, Viola Davis shows up ready to just chew through steel, and she is very great in all the scenes she's in. And for a lot of the a lot of the movies, she has a lot of really good material. Until David Ayer decides to treat her like another woman in a David Ayer movie, I guess. Mm. Hang on, yeah. who who was the secret camera that everyone knew, knew about? Mid credits, Ben Affleck. Oh, I never saw the mid credits. I, I I left. Oh, oh, oh wow. Oh, okay, what happens? Well, oh, okay, so basically, what happens is. So, you know, in Justice League, the cartoon where Batman shows up at Amanda Waller's house and mm-hmm. she's just gotten out of the shower, but still oh, feels like she's in command of the scene. Yes. OK, well, imagine the dynamics of power in that scene reversed where Bruce Wayne is basically having to bail her out of her cock up of the Suicide Squad oh. and saying, don't worry, little lady, I'll fix your mess with my Justice League friends. Fuck. She does have a little bit of a moment where she's like, I know you're Batman, because she says, Bruce Wayne, you look tired. You should stop working nights, which is kind of a cute little bit. But, you know, again, it, it's... He left it, his it, DNA all over town. Not even remotely of, what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> well, both. Uh, but again, it feels like, oh, silly lady, let this nice man help oh, you out. Of the I'm kind of glad I didn't see that bit, because I went away thinking... Oh, dear. Okay, so... Any more on Viola Davis? Because there's so many characters to cover, we can't spend too long on any any one of them. Well, and that's the problem of the movie. Yeah, I was. Just, I'm just going to say this. I mean, uh, obviously, I've I've been listening to what you guys have been saying and agreeing with all of it. Um, okay. Obviously, you, all of you are massive fans of the source material, be it the comics, the animated series, and all mm-hmm. of that. I've I'm, never been a fan of the the uh, Suicide Squad comics. Well, what I mean is, like, you you know the source material. Mm, you, mm. you know some of the iterations and how it's been presented in various mediums. Okay. For me, I'm coming in as a complete outsider. Okay. So I've never really gone into delving into the comics, um, other lore, you know, the animated series. So I, I've gone into this knowing a couple of the characters. I know Deadshot, I know Harley Quinn, and some other ones killer croc from from the batman games mm, mm. uh so a lot of these characters i have no idea of their backstory and it doesn't help that throughout the film it, it's not explained so i'm still completely in the dark with some of them but i really enjoyed viola davis uh yeah. in 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 this role i thought she was fantastic and 
I I kind of I sided with the character and I really enjoyed um the scenes that she was she she was in apart from like uh, like Brendan said near the near the end I thought it was just kind of it it fell flat which is a massive shame but I thought earlier on in the film I thought she was she was uh, fantastic it was well missed then on my part yeah <laughs> um okay so uh I I would say another of the uh, the the better parts of the film um Will Smith is dead shot mm-hmm. uh I I've been lamenting earlier this uh, year that uh, uh, Bob, I can't remember what you thought of Independence Day Resurgence. Not awful, yes. You were the one who turned us around on the original Independence Day, but uh, I was just watching this whole thing, thinking, "God, there's a Will Smith-shaped hole in this hole in this film, like a huge one." And then in a shop, I I I came out, I went and bought Independence Day, and someone said, "Oh, there's a new one." I went, I just went to see it, and they went, "Oh, is Will Smith in it?" First thing they asked me. First thing they ask me is Will Smith in it. No, ergo, you fail, Roland Emmerich. If that's the guy, you can't get back. And um, it's kind of sad that he was doing another movie that wasn't going to be praised. But he's at least one of the best things in it. Yeah. I, 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 he, he's kind of committed to the role. You know, he's he's trying not to be a straight outright villain. That bit at the end when he um, he, he gets given the letters from his little girl and he's like, "Right, well, I'm going to do this for you because I want my you know." daughter not to feel like i was a piece of shit that you know he puts a lot of him a lot of effort into that and it just kind of occasional beats in there like there's a little bit of mike lowry that i kind of remembered old will smith you know prior to after earth and that kind of like him losing his sense of humor um and yeah, yeah i thought it was good yeah he's a movie star when you put you know when you put him in even a movie that's not good yeah you know he if he's allowed to be, will walk around and, and, you know, help the scene. Mm. He can't help the movie because, you know, he's like really good in every scene, but like everyone else in the movie, he has seven personalities. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, he, there, there are memorable moments of this movie and he's a lot of them. He changes his motivation depending on where in the edit they are, how they've jumbled up the scenes and who edited it, whether it be Aya or uh, Trailer Park. But uh, yeah, there's, there's a certain point where, for like for no real reason, he suddenly starts to really feel an affection towards Harley Quinn. Like we were missing a whole reel there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that that's the big thing about the the editing for me. It felt as though a lot of stuff was missing. Huge, mm. not just not just little bits here, little bit a snippet of information. I'm talking about huge chunks of the story that I'm I'm thinking. Surely they're not gonna, you know, remove that and put it as extras on the DVD or Blu-ray release. You know, mm. a bit like the whole debacle with with DLC. You know, developers removing sections of the game and yeah. putting it as paid DLC where it should be in the game. And, and this is the same sort of instance in this. But I couldn't help as well feeling that for the majority of the film, it was dead shot the movie. Mm. I didn't mm. think that. I mean, I thought Will Smith was really good. I, I really enjoyed uh, a lot of the scenes that Deadshot was in, but I felt as though it really focused on on his backstory and shoved a lot of the other characters under the carpet. Mm-hmm. Whereas it straight from the get go, it fell into the trap of having to give all of these characters a backstory. Whereas you, you sort of drew comparisons to the Avengers before mm. with 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 all of the Avengers, you'd had. Uh, either um, solo stories like with Iron Man and Captain America mm-hmm. where you'd had cameo appearances from Black Widow so the characters already had a sense of you, you knew their backstory, you knew their relations with everyone and it just went from there and it elevated from there. With this it felt as though we th- the Warner Brothers thought shit we need to get all of these villains in here, people 
people want to see these villains, so let's just shove them in there. A little bit of backstory here, sprinkle of backstory here. Jobs are good. But considering like Deadshot and Harley, because there's a lot of Harley in there as well, vying for uh, for screen presence. Mm. How the hell are they going to establish Flash, Aquaman, and Cyborg in Justice League with Batman and Wonder Woman mooching around the place, and then suddenly Superman? Sloppily. Yes, is yeah. the correct answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Deadshot has like three introductions in this movie, yeah. and they they give him so much stuff to do that it seems almost by accident that he has the one emotional beat that feels like a followed through character moment when oh, yeah. he decides it, to do that thing, thing for resembling an arc. And and mm. then they try to shoehorn in this other crap where Harley's like, "Well, you messed with my friends. Since when are you friends?" And and El Diablo refers to the squad as his family, and he's barely spoken to them for like three fourths of the movie. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's so which is a shame because you know Hernandez does some very good sort of like tragic guilt and yeah. and Will Smith, it, like Bob said, he is a movie star and he really showed up to work and he's obviously trying to have a lot of fun and give a lot of pathos to the characters. It's very, very strange to me the the, the way that this all is is arranged, you know, with all these these the characters who get screen time, who doesn't. Like these people don't necessarily need a lot of introduction; they're all kind of self explanatory, and yet everyone but Killer Croc is over explained anyway. Mm, mm. Like the one thing they decide, you know, we don't need to explain this is the guy who's half crocodile. Mm. Evolution took a step back with him. He's half crocodile. That doesn't evolution at all. What? <laughs> I see uh, the, uh, the the prosthetics on him were, were pretty good for the face. Uh, specifically, kind of reminded me of uh, the Lord of the Rings. Do you remember the uruk makeup on that? I love prosthetics like that on the face. Yeah. But the arms look like so willowy and small and, uh, and stringy. <laughs> stringy. And it like, I'm used to now Killer Croc from the Arkham games, at least yeah. the first one. Brilliant first one, that fantastic Killer Croc section. He is a hulking monstrosity in that. And here he seemed really kind of small and little. And you, there was that one bit. Do you remember the bit where he's like, I'm going to go to and get that uh, uh, that mine with one second left on the clock with my SEAL team? And it's like suddenly there's a three-man SEAL team with them? <laughs> where did those guys come from? Have they been through the whole time? Yeah. It's like, were they hanging around with them? Were they part of, like, Amanda Waller's team? Like, they meet Amanda Waller halfway through. There is a chunk missing there. Yeah. And, well, they uh, come out of the choppers each having a a team of SEALs with them. There's the, the squad that's in one chopper, and they have some SEAL guys. Right. And then they have another completely separate SEAL team that gets separated and turned into monster ma- monster makeup face bad guys. Right. And you, if if you watch carefully, you can kind of see the the seals in the background whenever the squad isn't chewing up the scenery too much, and they're sort of there the whole time. But again, it's it, it feels like they're part of a different edit, where it feels like maybe there was supposed to be some friction between the the establishment good guys and the squad as the bad guys who end up being maybe better suited for the job than yeah. the official seals or or something. So a hangover from the air cut then, maybe. Yeah, it feels like in a better movie there would have been a bit where Rick Flagg had to literally choose the Suicide Squad over his Navy SEAL buddies for some reason or another, which is why he shows up in the bar. Yeah. Mm. Another character who could lift right the fuck out of the movie, uh, Jai Courtney's Captain Boomerang. He's there to throw bent bits of metal around and mouth off like an Australian man and be the surly one. That's about it. Uh, and why is he a supervillain? 
It's not. <laughs> something that bothers him about, about this movie is, you know, the idea here is something you always know, say, they go, these people are the worst of the worst. <laughs> now, well, hold, now, well, hold on just a second. Like, okay, Deadshot murders people. All right, that's, you know, someone, one good line in the movie is someone calls him a serial killer who takes credit cards. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's funny. You know, but like, he's a hitman who has a code, which in modern movies basically makes him a good guy. Mm-hmm. Like, if he's a supervillain, Jason Statham has played nothing but supervillains. <laughs> Harley Quinn seems to be under arrest exclusively for aiding and abetting. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't see her do anything. We can presume that she did. Uh, you know, Diablo and Killer Croc supposedly both turned themselves in mm-hmm. and they, they seem to mostly be just, you know, regular gangsters with, uh, you know, with powers. Well, skin and, deformities in the case of poor Killer Croc. He just right, yeah. like a so, guy with a big leathery carapace. Yeah, it, it's very dangerous. And then Captain Boomerang is in there and he's a jewel thief. He's not even like it's not like he stole the crown jewels. They showed him he like he knocked over like a Zales jewelers or something. Mm. And and like, no, you need to be in the movie, so you're here. I'm and, having serious trouble imagining the Flash having problems with this guy. Yeah, and like it would be one thing if because he's not in the same prison as the rest of them. They they drag him in midway through oh, yeah. along with Adam Beach. Uh, who is also in the film. <laughs> For all of, like, four lines and two scenes. Was Adam Beach the guy who was, um, like... Slipknot. Uh, Slipknot, the guy who can climb any wall and then he gets his head blown <laughs> off. Yeah. yeah. That, that, he can climb any wall because he's seen a Batman movie and invented one of those things to the, do it with. The way to do that gag, if you're going to do it at all, is build him up as the baddest of the bad and everyone's scared of him and he's the one who tries to escape him and then just Waller goes... And, uh, and that's that's how you do that. You establish who he is first. But carry on. Sorry, Bob. Well, it's, it's like the the basic easiest way to, to do anything like this is like the Ocean's Eleven thing where you say, okay, we have all these specific things we need done, mm. which coincidentally involves all of these people. So you need you know, a, a David Holmes, uh, you know, funky soundtrack and then just showing them doing what they do for like six seconds each. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. This, this, this guy shoots a bunch of people. Okay, we need to shoot a bunch of people, guy. Hey, this guy throws fire at people. That sounds useful. You know, this guy swims. You know, you never know. We, we might swim have a scenario where <laughs> we have to swim somewhere. We've all seen the Poseidon Adventure. Sometimes it happens. <laughs> this woman is basically a witch with an untapped and unknown power set, possibly the most powerful being on the planet. We hope we can control her. Let's get her too. <laughs> Nothing could possibly go wrong. <laughs> oh, Cara Delevingne is Enchantress. That voice when she's when she's uh, in the entra- Enchantress form. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Annoying as hell. I'm. I. I've heard people say they hated her. I. I conversely really quite liked her. Her, her physical performance and um, there's some cunning, clever things they did with uh, Bob. Did you say she was like J horror? Little bit. Yeah. There's yeah. a little bit of that in there. The bit where she puts her hands on the table and then those black fingers come up in between her hands and then flip them over. That was like a neat little. That's like, cool trick. I like that. Yeah, that but was the, really cool. Um, and she's like really getting into being the uh, Enchantress when she's all filthy and sort of like, you know, like with the glowing eyes and like when she's like, cradling her brother and talking to him in these sort of these dead languages, that was unnerving. 
the problem is when she goes all gozo and starts wibbling underneath that wobbly thing at the end. And <laughs> that's, wave, that's, waving her arm like a wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube. <laughs> that is a good 12 minutes of the film. Uh, she kind of reminded me of uh, Credence Leonor Gielgud from Troll 2. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Which if you've seen it, you'll, you'll get what kind of like really over the top performance that that kind of brings to mind at that point. She and her brother just really kind of brought back memories of of Imhotep and Anuksuna Moon from the mm. movies, and, mm. and not in the good way. <laughs> yeah, I have to assume that a lot of the business of them being the main central threat at the end of the movie, mm. as opposed to like a piece of it, mm. must have come later because it looks like they made a lot of that CGI up really quickly. Yeah, mm. that would stand to reason. In which case, I'm kind of fascinated as to what was there in the first place. Yeah, I'm wondering how long it's going to take for someone to corroborate the things that are flying around that I won't say out loud. Ah, this is maddening. Okay, right. Okay, so uh, Harley Quinn, played by uh, Margot Robbie, who everyone kept insisting is incredibly talented until I saw this film. I hated The Wolf of Wall Street so much. And uh, I haven't. Uh, what else has she been in? Anyone? She was in the one. Uh, with she was Will in Smith. Focus with Focus. Will Smith, yep. and she also made a cameo appearance in The Big Short. Okay, that's like uh, the last couple of years. Oh, and also she was in this year's uh, travesty that was The Legend of Tarzan. Ah, yes, yeah. And uh, Bob, as you said earlier on Twitter, now that that uh, she can open these two stinkers of movies, and so Warner Brothers have got her now pegged in for the next few God knows how many movies as the girlfriend of one of the villains. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is quite a development that this, this, this is someone who, I mean, she's been acting for a long time. All right. I mean, you know, if you go, if, if, if you go by her listed age, she may have been acting for longer than she's been alive on this planet, but uh, different story. Awful joke. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I get it. I get it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I always thought she was a very young actress when uh, when uh, she turned up in um, uh, Wolf of Wall Street. So like I was, I hadn't seen her before that. What what was she in before that? Um, she's an Australian TV actress, and oh. right around the same time she hit uh, the Wolf of Wall Street, she was in a TV show for one season on CBS called Pan Am. All right. Okay, so a lot of people basically for, for for them this is the Harley Quinn movie, and they've they've had a lot of you know affection for the for Harley Quinn uh, from Batman animated series for many many years. She's been around for a lot a lot longer than most of the target audience for this movie, and um, I was expecting Margot Robbie to just annoy the shit out of me. So uh, there were so many like she got hammered in in the trailer, and all the trailer moments I found to be kind of grating. There was one or two bits which I I thought now you know what. I actually quite like her as Harley. Um, the, the the point after the helicopter crashes and the uh, the squad come back to find her and she's just lying on the car thinking to herself and then has to sort of recompose herself and smile for everyone. She kind of reminded me of um, Penny Lane in Almost Famous, that whole kind of like, you know, I'm just going to put on my mad persona. And um, the idea that there could be the, the, the actual... Quinzel still there, the person that she's buried and pretended, you know, isn't around because she's mad. Uh, that made for an interesting character. That would have been quite well explored had they actually wanted to do that, especially considering that, you know, when she was offered the thing she wants the most, it's just basically to be Susie Homemaker with a completely healed up Mr. J and, and um, you know, 2.4 
beautiful children. That's apparently what Harley wants. Yeah, with 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 Harley Quinn for me, I mean, I did enjoy a lot of the uh, a lot of the stuff that Margot Robbie did, like you said. But for me, I felt as though it's not her fault this bit. But whenever we've had a crazy action sequence, we then had Harley pop up in the background, going, "That was crazy." Yeah. It's, Mm. There's, there's no need we we have eyes we have ears we've seen what's on screen we've heard the action we we know that was pretty crazy and spectacular in some parts but we don't we don't need the character on screen reassuring and reaffirming <laughs> what we've just seen on screen so she's like the cherry on top of every action scene exactly do you remember the exactly. bit where she goes into the elevator and it plays come baby come baby baby come come that whole section didn't need to be in the movie at all it, it, it serves no purpose. It doesn't add any tension as to she might be trying to run away from the group. And she just beats the fuck out of a bunch of those black zombie guys. Yeah, that looks like we edited out a bunch of stuff that, you know, would have been her scenes. And she's clearly the, the focus of our campaign now. So we better give her something to do. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the other thing that's, that's really troubling about Harley, I mean, she, she was actually entertaining to watch, and shes I, I, I would concede that Margot Robbie's probably a lot more of a movie star than I first estimated her as. Um, and so, you know, well done for being able to come out of this as one of the, the top three. But all of the... <laughs> okay, try and divorce it from Jared Leto's Joker just for, just for a little bit longer. We'll talk about him in a second. But just the whole relationship with Joker. Oh, I have thoughts on that. Brendan, do you just want to go? Because I was fucking like, I, I, I was like, my skin was crawling off me multiple occasions. Um, and, and Bob, if you've got stuff to say as well, that would be very much appreciated. So to begin with, with the Joker, and, and this is something that I've kind of observed over the different incarnations we've seen of him in animated series and comics, is that for one, the relationship with Harley is very one-sided in mm. that she is obviously way more invested in being in love with Mr. J mm. than he is in having his Harley around to be revved up. Uh, that's mm. It's sort of a running joke, and it's also a tragic element of why he's obviously very bad for her, and she every now and then just fucks off and does stuff with Poison Ivy instead. Mm. It's a toxic relationship. Yeah, and this movie decides for some reason that he is super in love with her and very committed to whatever this relationship is as well. And then it goes the extra step towards, and you know, I don't know if, if Sharon is ever going to, to see this, but I thought this is something that she might find interesting given her reaction to say 50 shades of gray. Mm-hmm. I'm they, sure she'll see suicide squad at some point. Well, Joker and Harley are specifically coded as being in a BDSM relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for one thing, there's the bit with the origin story where he specifically says he wants her to live for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he takes ownership of her. She is wearing a freaking collar around her neck that she then takes off when she thinks he is dead. And it's, it's obvious that he is super emotionally abusive in, in many different ways. Like he offers her up as a sexual favor to a random gangster for no reason. Then there's also the fact that they begin the relationship by him in, instead of, her deciding to fall for him and become crazy for him. He, I guess, tortures her until she becomes crazy enough to jump into a vat of chemicals. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, it's a, it's another sort of, of conflating BDSM with strictly abuse and terrible behavior and unhealthy behavior uh, in what's already a pretty effed up relationship. That was just, 
yeah, it's skin crawlingly bad. And then at the very end of the movie, they present Joker's triumphant turn as a happy ending for Harley's character. Yeah, that he uh, finally is, her white knight has come for her. Which I mean, the, the, you could take maybe two minutes to think of a decent story that is more about, especially since half of this is already in the text of what the film is trying to do, and that she refers to the squad as her friends is. You know, her realizing with this group of wacky people she becomes close to that Mr. J is bad for her. I mean, that is a that's freaking middle school stuff that that would be really easy to do. And yet instead you have this it's just really uncomfortable use of a female character and coding and and I guess relationship dynamics and, and politics that feels very skeevy in an already pretty lurid movie. Agree. Bob? Yeah, it's there is it's really clear that a bunch of the movie is missing and it seems like a lot of it had to do with uh Joker and Harley Quinn and that whole bit of business. It doesn't make sense. Her character, she's re- she is really good in the part, I think, and you know like this is a bona fide movie star because she's still good even though she has nothing really to do in the movie and her character doesn't make sense. Mm. Like if you look at the way that it all plays out, and you know you like you know, throw it up on a chart and just say, wait a minute, why is so much of the movie about this character? It doesn't really make that much sense. She doesn't have the most to contribute to the team. Uh, she doesn't have you know a- an arc like at least Deadshot has, where he has this whole thing going on with his daughter that sort of is like a, a metaphor for the whole lot of them. Okay, fine. She doesn't really have that happening. Uh, the only reason that she might be in the movie itself super important is that she doesn't establish any kind of relationship, at least on screen, with any other member of the team that would make her like a, a fundamental person. You know, like has already been said, Deadshot is suddenly all sensitive and nurturing to her midway through the movie when they've had no interactions together. Most of Deadshot's stuff that's left in the movie is about him you know, like peacocking at uh, Rick Flagg as to who's the, the real good guy here. Yeah. Uh, the only reason that she should be prominent in the story at all is that she's the reason that the Joker is coming, which is they spend all of Act 2 se- you know, using this as a ticking clock, like whatever they're about to go do, the Joker's coming and he's going to mess everything up because he's the Joker and that happens. And then he shows up, nothing happens, and they're separated again right away. <laughs> He's the ex-wife bunker buster from Iron Man 2. That... (laughs) Wow. Weird. You know, and there's no... Like, like there's no reason for her to be the focus other than she's so charismatic, but there's no storyline there, and the whole business with the Joker as a character in the movie and the way that they relate to each other not only doesn't... The only way that it it works in the movie now is if you assume that the movie thinks that their story is really cute. Yeah. And, like, like unironically cute, which is clearly not the case because I... David Ayer is an edgy dude and, and he likes, you know, angry, macho, nasty movies, but I'm pretty sure that they didn't set out to make the movie, you know... A, a straightforward, like, you know, romantization of this abusive relationship, but that is what winds up on screen. And because of how relatively tame and fake and, you know, commercial plastic version of edgy this is, the 
what could have been at least like a, a sort of downer ending where she's like, oh, wow, she's so happy, but she clearly shouldn't be, doesn't land at all. It, it, it could be a dark ending that the characters don't know is a dark ending, but it's not. It, it plays as just a conventional superhero movie, but they're weird. And it, it, it's, it's a very it's a very odd thing. It really should. There's definitely more stuff that should have been there. Like there's an entire character. I, I think his name's Griggs or something. The, the Ike Barinholtz guy who, who like they, they make a point of him interacting with most of the squad. Mm. And then he literally disappears from the movie right after Harley says something about how he's so screwed because he helped her get in contact with Joker or, or whatever. Mm. I'm pretty sure he's not in the ending bits where exactly. they're showing all the squad back at Bell Rev, even though he was obviously one of the head guards. So what exactly that the heck happened to him? And Oh, is he the guy who was um, beating up Will Smith at the beginning? Yeah. Mark Wahlberg. Not even with a dead shot at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mark Wahlberg with a goatee. That yeah. guy. <laughs> oh, that guy. Okay. Yeah, he's yeah he's completely missing from the ending, which is just really peculiar. Um, also, as well, I mean, uh, maybe Jer- the Joker tortured him to death in a scene so horrible it couldn't be in the PG thirteen. Yeah, it's going to be in the ultra R-rated mega cut. mega R rated cut. Yeah. Mm. Um, also, uh, Jared Leto said that um, in in many interviews that a lot of his scenes were cut. Good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think Are after after seeing the film, I mean, because. When when that was uh, when that interview was released before the film, I thought, mm, you know, how is that going to affect it? And then seeing the film, I I came to the conclusion of I don't think it would have helped it out at all, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, what it boils down to is, uh, the, had this been a story about Harley uh, beginning off besotted with the Joker and then finishing off, you know what? Fuck you, get out of my life. <laughs> Uh, that would have actually been an arc for her, and it would have uh, given us the you know the, the the Harley that we all know, sort of besotted with Mister J, or at least flag the fact that her relationship with the Joker is really bad for her, and that, that her getting back together with him is a bad thing, not a good thing. Not just hey, you like to see these two guys together. That's why I um, suggested that the Joker be the actual main villain. If the, sorry, if the Joker had been twinned up with one other guy, that way that gives Harley a reason to actually be in the team in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, because he's instigating it and she has an in with him. If the idea being that she's there to honey trap him, that would make sense. Yeah, and like it, it could be uh, something that's revealed to her later as well. You know, something where she's it's sort of like, oh, that's why I'm here. Now I get it. Oh, look, she's the one who finds the binder, and the binder is the thing that shows that they were wanting to use her for a thing. Oh, look, it's it's actually dramatic as opposed to just repetitious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in the edit, that as it exists on screen, I think, like, the most egregious something is wrong here that, you know, kind of, like, you know, woke me back up into paying attention to that sort of thing in the movie because while watching it, I was kind of, like, you know, losing myself in the stuff that are just regular wrong. Mm. <laughs> and uh, just like okay, these are just bad filmmaking decisions. Is th- this whole business when she she leaves the rest of the squad and gets back on the helicopter with the Joker, and then the helicopter gets shot down, and she falls out, and then she's sad because I guess we're supposed to think the Joker's dead, but we know he's not because yeah, we right. are the audience. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, which is but, but I mean even the movie doesn't really seem to sell that he's there. It really feels like that was supposed to be some other thing in that scene that leads to her falling out of the, the helicopter or whatnot. Mm, like you the know, Joker like, tried to kill her or, or yeah, like, or this, pushed her out. Yeah. 
yeah, like this is supposed to be there because the the context of the scene is is so bizarre because it's like you know like she goes out with a Joker and they tell Deadshot to kill her and he says he's going to but he doesn't and it's mm-hmm. a, a a surprise from everyone and then later on when they find her again suddenly they're all buddy buddy even though shooting at her is literally the biggest interaction they've had. <laughs> Uh, it's it's and then it's like oh you know he just doesn't like to shoot at women or children that's why the, the the problem is here no no I don't think that's it I think there's another movie here yeah but it really does feel like there was supposed to be like some sort of like confrontation or betrayal or something that would break her and and the Joker up that would lead to that whole scene yeah and then you know that he could take off for some reason and it's it's just it's very something's up here there's going to be some investigative journalism on on this. Yeah, you know, I don't know if it's like Kingdom of Heaven, you know, where it's a totally different movie. So, something's up. That would make it the the Joker coming for her at the very end of the movie way more sinister if he had, you know, pushed her out of the helicopter and intentionally abandoned her. Mm. Uh, that would at least make that interestingly effed up instead of just ignorantly effed up, I guess. <laughs> It's like it's it, yeah, the film ends up being very very surface level when there could could have been a lot more going on beneath the surface and indeed could have been a lot more filmed going on a lot beneath the surface. Mm. Okay, let's tackle him. Jared Leto's Joker. Um, is he is he the best Joker? <laughs> oh wait, no, no, hold on, hold on. The the correct reaction to this is the ah 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 ah. New joke. <laughs> <laughs> or the perhaps the penguins. Uh there was I mean from the word go, the first fucking shot of that guy, I thought, oh, Jared Leto. I have never liked this guy. And then when I saw him in action, I'm just gonna hurt you really, really bad. I thought, wow, they've gone for the torture hungry joker. They've gone for the, the complete psychopath, the one who's going to do absolutely horrible things because that's what everyone's fascinated with. In the end, he's just kind of there and he's a gangster and then he's, he appears and then he gets shot down, then he turns up again in the end. This is one of the weirdest things about the release of this movie because Warner Brothers has been basically selling Joker as the star of the movie mm-hmm. all year. Mm-hmm. You know, even though like the trailers make it clear that he's not the main character, but like like everything we've been hearing about this has been, hey, you know, did you hear how weird Jared Leto was? It was a weird shoot. He did weird things. This guy's nuts, which is always what they have out ahead of an actor playing a weird villain like this yeah. in order to, you know, get everyone on board that this is going to be some next level stuff, man. Here's some <laughs> weird stuff. And it's like why was he even on set with the other actors when he has no interaction with any of them? Mm. At least in the movie, in the movie that we've seen, he's not interacting with anyone but Harley Quinn in one scene and in flashbacks. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't do really anything like jokery in the movie. You know, he, Oh, he, he makes Harley Quinn jump into what I guess is supposed to be the, the, the chemical plant that he fell into. 
I guess is supposed to be the context of that scene, which is a weird thing not to explain, but I'm thinking by now everyone probably knows that about the Joker. They don't need to tell us that anymore. Oh, yeah, you're still going to get another... I, I guarantee the next, the Justice League movie is going to begin with the death of Martha Wayne and <laughs> Thomas Wayne again, just to remind you folks what, what, this what happened. What happened to Batman's parents? I, I forgot. I just want... Like, <laughs> as you know, Bruce, your parents were killed by a gunman named Joe Chill in Crime Alley. <laughs> Yeah, I, to one, like, it's almost good that they just assume you know, but I just thought that's, like, you better know what those fucking chemicals are. Because, <laughs> like, it was, a, it was, it was a, a freak reaction that caused the Joker's particular... I'm, I'm delving into this in way too much. I just I thought, like, you know, when I was watching the scene, like, you know, she dives in and he dives after her and gets her out and starts to, you know, give, kiss her and, like... He sort of cleans the chemicals out of her eyes just with his hand, and I thought, "Yeah, she's going to be blinded now." That's just, yeah. it's just it's chemical fucking waste, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 kind of like the sort of thing a teenager might write in their um in their notebook at school when they're supposed to be studying as to maybe how Harley Quinn becomes as crazy as the Joker, but you don't actually put that in the film. It does kind of look like something that should have begun on DeviantArt and kind of stayed there forever. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, his performance is... Uh, I have been thinking about Heath Ledger's Joker for days now. You know, sit, like, just thinking, about, like, thinking back to how extraordinary that was. And just thinking back to what, what, like, all of the shit that Jared Leto's been doing. And I sent Margot Robbie a living rat! And, uh, you know, he sent the rest of the cast a dead pig and he wouldn't ever talk to Will Smith as Jared Later. He was always the Joker. That was kind of his thing. And um, David Ayer said that he constantly has to give birth to himself. He goes away. He comes back. He shoots. He goes away. The Joker is something you have to be. And you can see how exhausting and painful it is for him to be this character. But you can feel it when he comes to work. The crew feels it. Everyone feels it. It's like the birds stop flying. He's fucking terrifying, which is all great copy. But I've played the Joker twice. It's a horrible headspace. I don't envy anyone having to get into that headspace. But his behavior just makes him sound like a complete twat. As, a, <laughs> as opposed to actually an, a serious actor. And yeah, of course he's not in the movie. Like it's he, he, this is the the most tame version of the Joker ever. Yeah. Like he, he doesn't do anything on screen that we see like okay he shoots some people mm. you know i i like that they've kind of like you know abandoned the serial killer joker thing and just said no he's a gangster and it's a now kind of gangster and i kind of like the idea of you know that he's like a modern version of a gangster so he's all about his bling and he's got his fancy car and it he seems to run a strip club which is an interesting vocation for someone who looks like a clown all the time but <laughs> like okay you know let we'll go with that fine you know like the jack nicholson joker was was a gangster and that worked out okay so so why not but he's dull you know it he shows up and the movie is pretty much relying on us remembering that we've been scared of the joker in other movies with different mm. actors for for this to be effective because he doesn't do anything I never thought of running a strip club before. Come to Clownies. We'll have you dancing on circus poles. Um, <laughs> it, uh, okay, Those hand buzzers are extra lethal in a strip club, man. They are. 
I, I, I don't understand why Warner Brothers were just so dead set on selling us this Joker and didn't actually make him the villain or didn't actually make him the fucking focus of this movie. It just seems so like they know people love the Joker. They know fans obsess about the Joker. They know that the worst of the Batman fan base are frankly cult members of the Joker. And for some reason, he's just sort of in there. Like, the, no executive could watch this film and go, yes, that is the requisite amount of Joker. And he's certainly doing enough ostentatious things. <laughs> because he's not! Can you imagine Jared Leto trying to pull all that shit on, the, on like, the set of a Ben Affleck-directed Batman movie? Like, no. Actually, Sarah <laughs> mentioned that earlier. That like, he, It's not just that he has to stand up to Harley Quinn and like, you know, be, his, be her ideal version of the Joker. He's got to stand up to, like, roided-up Ben Affleck and be somehow intimidating. That ain't happening. You know what? Well, I'm, call, just... I'm calling it right now. This role is being recast. Well, even just the behind-the-scenes stuff, like him trying to send, you know, used condoms to, to people on a Ben Affleck set, like he'd be dropped in a river the next day and Matt Damon would be the Joker or something. <laughs> That's not how we do things around here. No, I can't do a Boston thing with Bob. I'm sorry. <laughs> and he's also, he's so over-designed. Like there's so much shit all over him. He's got the tats and he's got the, the white skin, the grit. Like the, like the white skin, the white skin, the grin, the green hair and the purple clothing isn't enough for a Joker, you also have to add the grill. You also have to add the tats yeah. and those like w- like really wide staring eyes, which yeah is fine. But look, look, if Jared Leto was told you're going to be Joker and he went home and designed that himself, then fair play to him because that is uh, an unsettling look. I didn't like it the moment I saw it. I still don't like it, but it's unsettling. <laughs> but you guarantee that was put on him. And he didn't bring anything to it other than opening his mouth and rolling his eyes a bit. He's, he's given no like major scene where you're like, oh, that bit in, uh, in uh, Suicide Squad when the Joker does that. The, the other thing is he gets no entrance. If you remember when you, when you first meet him, it's the flashback to Harleen Quinzel as, as a doctor. And it sort of cuts to them and they're just there. There's no sort of slow reveal and moving the camera around and then suddenly you realize you're staring at the Joker. Yeah, it's From a fanfare. Reveal. You know, relative to just the first seven minutes of The Dark Knight, which I mean, again, you know, that's an extremely accomplished movie by a very, uh, you know, very serious uh, craftsman, and and you know, extraordinary performance, and he had obviously tons to do, and they really knew what they were doing with that film, but um, but yeah, this, I, I'm going to say again, this is getting recast. It wouldn't surprise me. Who would uh, I'm interested to hear? Who would uh, who would you recast as the Joker? Tilda uh, Swinton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bob, you know I've been saying this for for a little while because Warner Brothers really seems to be into getting really big actors for these movies, and it, it I don't think it's a good idea long term. But if they're going to do it. I it, like if they gave if, if I was in charge and they said you know what, you just go get whoever you think would be you know interesting in these parameters, I I, I think I'd probably go and ask Leonardo DiCaprio if he'd do it. Probably get the uh, the, the the male vote on that one. Yeah, so he's an established uh, accredited actor. He's respected. He'd probably put a lot of effort into it. He wouldn't act like a total creep uh, as, as when he's supposed to be being professional to his his uh, other cast members. It's it's a troubling role, but I could I could see DiCaprio up against Affleck. Yeah, yeah, that's that's well, more like The Departed. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and he seems like an actor that now now that he has his Oscar would probably be looking for, you know, like something to do where right. you can just, you know, go nuts for a little bit. Yeah, so, have, have fun. Yeah. Just like, hey, just, you know, cut we're not going to make you, you have your Oscar, you don't have to crawl on broken glass to apologize to us for Titanic anymore, so. (laughs) You won't have to eat bison, we promise, it's okay. (laughs) You know, just just, just do the the Jordan Belfort shit again, but now, you know, like, slightly more evil, only slightly. (laughs) Slightly worse guy. I had an idea because ultimately it's got to be someone of caliber. Um, it's an old, a lot older of an actor, and you'd have to sort of explain. I, I, fuck it, I don't think you don't really need to explain that much. Um, and he's he's kind of a guy who gets his own way all the time, but you know he's getting older and probably would uh, relish a chance to really let his hair down. Tom Cruise. Ooh. Think about that grin. Think about Lestat and uh, a little bit of Vincent from Collateral, and just that. You know, I, I think you could get someone who was, you know, dangerous and, you know, uh, and he, he would have that um, presence to him, which Jared Leto absolutely does not. Tom Cruise yeah. is another guy who is a movie star. So, yeah, yeah that would. Yeah, I could definitely get behind that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 better than mine. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I don't I don't know if he'd do it, but yeah, no. it's, it's that, that would be something to see. I think if he got asked, he'd probably start off by going, no, wait a minute. Do, this is the role that Nicholson took, and it didn't do his career any harm. <laughs> you can't handle the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he, he would be good. He, he's definitely, you know, Tom Intensity Cruise. Mm. You know, and, and we get some running Joker, which we don't, you, you don't usually see. <laughs> Because uh, the other thing is, like, he's really, really short, so, like, Batman, like, bearing down on top of him. But if he's, like, you know, getting all knife-happy with him, I could I could buy Tom Cruise as being really threatening. Well, Batman and the Joker as, like, a cobra and a mongoose is sort of an interesting thing, just mm-hmm. visually and, and I guess, you know, combat dynamics-wise, that just, just a little guy who's fast. Mm-hmm. Sure. Why not? And it's a hell of a get for Warner Brothers as well. You know, that, mm-hmm. that adds prestige to your movie. Yeah. 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 Okay, and it's not like they haven't worked with the guy a lot in the past. Yeah, true, true story. He's a friend of the family. <laughs> the end of this article about Jared Leto's weird behavior for his, from the sounds of it, Leto's performance of the DC villain will be pretty unforgettable. Suicide Squad is nope. It's the exact opposite of that. He failed to make an impact. I think I can imagine loads of people going into this cinema really excited about seeing it, and then coming out going, oh, "What was up with that? Not much Joker." Including Jared Leto's mom. Tell <laughs> me you were in that movie, Jared. Um, it seems like he was aware, uh, as the Joker, of the fact that like there is a camera on him at all times, which yeah. is why he's so decked out. Like, there's even a shot where he's surrounded by a, a like concentric circles of weapons. The only point for having them arranged that way, of which is because the camera sees them as it's shooting down. It's it's so weird. Like, the, the only reason the, the Joker exists in the version that he exists in this movie is because he knows he is being spectated. Mm. Oh, uh, did I mention, you know, Captain Boomerang has a pink unicorn? Yeah. <laughs> There's like a little throwaway gag there, and it's like he's got a pink unicorn. Okay, if that was in the movie prior to Deadpool coming out, then fair play, it's a coincidence. If they added that to the movie afterwards, to just sort of a, a funny little gag, 
it's it's in a it's after Ryan Reynolds frantically masturbated uh, with a uh, stuffed unicorn pressed to his forehead in that like, brief moment in in Deadpool, and then wanked off a unicorn and got rainbows flying out of it in the the credits. If so, if you pinch that, because I goddamn know you pinch Spirit in the Sky from Guardians of the Galaxy, and fuck mm. you for that. Mm. But uh, then then double fuck you, uh, Suicide Squad. We we fucking edited goddamn horse shit if you uh, look at the soundtrack uh, you can see the existing soundtrack that they arranged with all of these various uh, recording artists that will get the kids on board and it, there's a lot of rap on there a lot of hip-hop a lot of uh, sort of um sort of new stuff and and uh stuff that you know 21 pilots and stuff that the kids will like and then there's a lot of other stuff old stuff which seems like it was crammed in at the last minute and doesn't actually fit mm. um the 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 prime moment for me was uh, when they stuck on Fortunate Son when we were introduced to Killer Croc. Why? Why that song? Oh, my eyes about rolled the fuck out of my head right then. I mean, if you're going to do any Credence Clearwater revival at that point for Killer Croc, Born on a Bayou? I mean, took me two seconds to work that shit out. <laughs> do you think that the inclusion of all of these uh, licensed songs that would be popular with the demographic... Uh, do you think that they were all shoehorned in because of the uh, success of the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack? Yeah, yes, I do. I think the, yeah. the, the ones with the the, the 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 stuff that would appeal to the kids was what was in like in like it's all part of the Warner Brothers music label or something yeah. along those lines. And they were like, right, let's just get these guys all on board for like. And if, I'm just going through the soundtrack there, but then I would imagine most likely because that's what they did with the trailers. Um, that Trailer Park came in and went, look, let's stick in. Um, Without Me by Eminem for no reason. There's I can't remember which song it was, but there's a point where Amanda Waller's trying to sort of explain the Suicide Squad at the beginning, and she has quite a low register to her voice, and the song was actually o- like overbearing her speech because mm. it did not, it was not originally edited to that song, and it's it it really smacks of just forcing this soundtrack in just to keep things moving and keep it sprightly and perky. Then there's a million needle drops. They're just all over the place. Like that first 20 minutes, mm. you could almost make it into a drinking game that would be able to compete with the number of booty short shots that you've got from Argo Rogers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's like a so- there's a solid like 10 minutes of the movie that is, you know, pop montage followed by pop montage followed by pop montage. Yeah. And it's all the same, like, you know, basic catalog of songs. Mm. And yeah, it's all very much seems like a reaction to that trailer because what everyone came away with was, oh, wow, hey, the Queen song over, you know, nasty people doing action. That's really amusing. Yeah. That kind of a Grand Theft Auto vibe to it or uh, Saints Row more than anything else. Yeah, a little little bit. This is... You know, it's one of those things that's it's become because it, it's not the first trailer to do it. I mean, H- Hardcore Henry had uh, was it the same Queen song or no? Different? It was Don't Stop Me Now, which right, was in, yeah, yeah and in, in the film in the end, which I was in like Shaun the... of the Dead as well. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's not not even yeah. original for that. Yeah, Carry on, yeah. Sorry, you did like the bit. I did like Sympathy for the Devil. It was on the nose as hell, oh, but I forgot. Sympathy for the Devil introducing Amanda Waller, that, yes. that's at least the right kind of on the nose. Right. I've got to add Sympathy to the Devil to my list. This is how, like, last minute they added these songs on. If you go to the soundtrack on on uh, IMDb, normally they have exactly what's on there. They have every single song that was arranged years ago by the, you know, for the record contracts 
all of the stuff that Trailer Park came up with, they were missing two or three songs, like Come Baby Come by K7, not on the official listings, but it's totally in the movie. I forgot about Sympathy for the Devil. Right, I've, I've uh, set aside an extra hour of the uh, podcast for us to talk about Rick Flagg. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know you like Joel Kinnaman, uh, Bob, from the, like, you, you, the high esteem you hold for Robocop. Um, I completely forgot this was him all throughout the movie. <laughs> Like, I was I, calling him Scott Eastwood throughout the movie, and no, Scott Eastwood was the guy who didn't say anything. I actually <laughs> thought that, because uh, Jai Courtney was there too, that Kinnaman and Courtney were going to have a bland off, and that the entire <laughs> screen was going to go beige. And But what actually ended up happening was that uh, they were both kind of like talking like this most of the time. <laughs> um, kind of like Tom, Tom Hardy in uh, The Revenant, <laughs> for no yeah. real reason. And, um, <laughs> and neither of them had any particular impact, but neither were they like, I mean, like, Rick Flagg was kind of bland, but uh, I mean, uh, Katana, for example, no reason for her to be there at all. Like, uh, like she's just his bodyguard, and the whole point is that the entire Suicide Squad are guarding him. What's the point of giving him an extra bodyguard? And the bit where she's weeping for her husband in the sword, like, and he actually straight up tells the audience that's why. That was just like a little bit of flavor. It was like, why is she so sad about her sword? And then you find out uh, like that that would have been. Nice to seed and then pay off, but no, they've yeah. got to get it all done in half a minute. The the exposition throughout the entire film is just so poor. There's, you know, when there should when there should be stuff explained mm. in an interesting way, there isn't, mm. and when there's no need for it to be explained because we, as I said way before earlier in the podcast, we have eyes, we have ears, mm. and th- this is a this is a prime example of when we didn't need stuff to be explained we needed to you know use our imaginations use the other aspects of the story that we've picked up if you know if we can follow the story in this mm. <laughs> and uh, and piece it together ourselves but they they look like with most films when when studios feel and and directors and and screenwriters feel the need to explain every single aspect of the story to audiences by having characters tell another character you know just just so so you know oh this is handy that this is what ha- what's happened here it's so lazy and it's treating the audience like idiots it's also strange that katana like leaves rick for for to, to go to the bar with the bad guys that she's supposed to be guarding him against yeah and it, i mean if you're going to set up the 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 badass swordswoman who's the only other supernaturally inclined person on the team against the bad guys why is there never a point in time where the bad guys try and get the jump on rick flag and she has to kick someone's ass yeah that is that's literally the reason to do that you legitimize her being there that way but uh yeah no, 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 happens. there's t- too many characters in the film they could have lost uh killer croc or captain boomerang keep one of them around as the surly one and uh they could have lost katana uh, frankly, Rick Flagg would have been fine there as the moral center, but it would have been more interesting had he and Deadshot ended up kind of like um, crossing over at some point where Rick Flagg was trying to do what seems to be the thing for the greater good, but is actually more of an arsehole thing to do. And, uh, you know, it, it sacrifices a few lives for more. And, and Deadshot ends up doing the selfish thing, but actually is, you know, just, just on something to give them a moral conflict you know but, they even start that when amanda waller like shoots all the innocent texts and, mm. and deadshot's like yeah and i'm the bad guy yeah they will never let you forget that he keeps saying i'm the bad guy we're the bad guys folks we're the bad guys 
Well, they have to because they're not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> just, just to remind you, folks. It's, it's a weird choice of, of guys to have in because, I mean, like, hell, Diablo, is Diablo even a villain? As far as we know, he was like a torch for hire mm. and something bad happened because of his powers and he turned himself in. That's not a super villain. That's like seven of the X-Men. Yeah. He, he, well, he's Kratos because he killed his wife and children. And so he – but to his credit, Diablo did not go around the film moping, my dead family. He, 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 was, he was only, you know, going, I no, not going to use these powers they're too dangerous and I, I liked the fact that he was uh, you know restrained a lot but ultimately here is the crux of the Suicide Squad's problem um, it is described at the beginning of what if Superman had turned bad what if he'd gone to the White House peeled off the roof and taken the president out we need ourselves a squad of metahumans who could deal with that and then they proceed to deliver you the Suicide Squad uh, a man with a horrible leathery skin uh, deformation who can swim, which isn't going to be particularly useful against Superman. Uh, a guy who can throw fire, and Superman is immune to flames. Uh, a guy who can throw boomerangs, and they will bounce straight off Superman. A guy who is a deadly crack shot, and Superman is impervious to bullets. A woman who can hit him with a mallet, and it's just <laughs> smash the mallet. Uh, and Rick Flagg, a, a nice guy. Also Katana, who has an enchanted sword. Uh, that that may work against Superman because there's some kind of like DC thing that he's not particularly good against magic. And then of course there's Enchantress, a supervillain who might destroy the world. So astonishingly disproportionately out of the same power set as everybody else that she should not be on this team. No one ever mentions it. It was forming this team that caused this problem, possibly because it wasn't actually the problem in one cut of the film. <laughs> Uh, and no one ever mentions that had the Suicide Squad been entirely mobilized before Superman had gone bad, they would have been able to do precisely fuck all to stop him. (laughs) It's redonkulous. All it needed to have was Amanda Wallace saying, look, we've got all these metahumans here in Bellrev just wasting their time away, whiling away their lives like every other scumbag. Let me use them. There's good that they can accomplish, even if they're bad people. That's all you need. Don't set it up as a pretense of like, oh, we could possibly combat Superman with these guys. Don't make me laugh. Guy over here throws boomerangs. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so that that is the central issue with uh, with uh, um, Suicide Squad, and that was the issue I had with it from like maybe the third trailer, where that bleated voiceover sort of makes it into the narrative of the film. Bob There's Gunn. just not a lot to say about this thing. Yeah, it just got it's it's bad and it's boring. Yeah, it's also not exciting visually in any way. It's like ugly design and the action. Aside from, I guess maybe there's a couple moments with El Diablo and the the bit where Deadshot activates God mode and shoots everyone in the head. Mm. <laughs> Even the action is pretty dull and dark and hard to follow and not particularly inventive. I don't see this catching on either in the way that Batman v Superman at least has the iconography of, oh, look, it's those three superheroes on screen for the first time ever. Mm. But this, which is supposed to deliver the this is the fun version of dark and gritty. It's not even that fun. There's no like there's no wealth of character moments that work the way you have character moment after character moment in Guardians that work. And it's not particularly enjoyable just from a, a romp standpoint either. 
And the fact that they're bad guys has no impact on how they fight or who they're fighting. Because good oh, no. guys could have stopped the zombies as well. It's, it's just black zombies. That's, that's all. That. Here was my idea when I was I – Sharon and I were walking all day today and I was just trying to come up with a better idea for the, the film. And I was like, well, if we focus on the fact that basically they've got to go in there and take out Joker. And by the way, I'm, I mentioned this earlier, but that – like the actual confluence of events that leads to the brother going crazy in the subway and then the, the whole city is deserted – Incredible, like not even just conveniently. It's like, what is wrong with this city? Is everyone dead? Did everyone just disappear? It can't be that they've all been turned into black zombies. There were millions of people in this city. And like, what was there a mass evacuation? I saw Batman Begins. That's what happens when there tries to be a mass evacuation of a city. Lots of people all crowded up. Will Smith, you remember I Am Legend? That's what happens when you try to evacuate a city. A lot of people out there. This city's completely fucking deserted. There's actually like literally signs that ex- that are trying to say mass evacuation in effect as they walk through the deserted city, and yet it's like, really? That took what two hours? Yeah, sure, okay. Nah, no way. That would take a week to get everyone out to the extent that they got everyone out. If it were possible, it's it's chaos basically. And that, that they never sold that. And the whole crux of the movie that uh, hangs upon why are these guys being brought in? What is happening in this city? And they can never explain really well either of those things. It, 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 the whole thing falls apart immediately as soon as you start asking those questions. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, like I said, when it comes down to it, there's no real reason for them to be there and for them to be the bad guys and for them to be the ones doing this thing. However, imagine if the city was taken over and annexed, much like in The Dark Knight Rises, but by the Joker and his gang. And if the Joker's gang were a bunch of, like screaming Joker cultist fanboys who idolize the Joker and worship him. And basically these guys go in and beat the living shit out of all of them. Kind of a subtext there, but I'd really like it. That would be better than what they came up with. (laughs) And just the whole point of like, you know, the the reason that Harley's there is because she's the honey trap for, for him. And that by the end of the movie, she goes from like, she was going in there to try and save him. And then by the end, she's gone on enough of a journey to realize that the people that she's around while they may be scumbags still treat her better than he did. And so her arc is, I don't need you anymore, Mr. J. That and that's when good. she throws away the collar. Oh, 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 we came up with the shit in two hours. They couldn't write that in six weeks. <laughs> hey, again, it's it's like middle school creative writing stuff. It's like, okay, we need we need a squad. Uh, Joker escapes from a heavily fortified prison. Um, he's got classified intel. Here's people who might know how to either get that back or trick him or deal with potential more earthbound threats that he has at his disposal why we even need the enchantress or someone who can combat superman we don't mm. uh, okay so um very quickly how the hell can dc warner brothers fix the dc universe because they've already got jeff johns on the case we remember last time we did uh, batman vs superman bob i was saying jeff johns get him on the case they listened obviously and <laughs> And they got Jeff Johns in, uh, and we're going to finally feel his influence around about the Justice League era. Is there anything else they could possibly do, you guys, uh, which uh, might might fix these pig fucks of movies that keep coming out? Wonder uh, Woman's the first movie that's actually going to feel his influence, right? Because that, I mean, Suicide Squad was wrapped by the time he came on board. 
Yeah. Nothing he could do really to stop that. I don't know. Like the, 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 he could have overseen the cut and gone right. That this doesn't make like, as a writer, this doesn't make sense in terms of story structure. What have we got? Yeah, but you can only fix that so far with an edit. I could do that shit. <laughs> Give it to me. I could go back in there and re-edit that stuff. Come on. Anyway, um, I, I don't know really how they could fix it. I just I know for a fact that now they've they've had two stabs at it and it's the, both times they've fallen flat the next uh it, it is it is wonder woman isn't it the next it is, DC yeah. film yeah so now i think with added color i yeah, i, I, so swear I, think that I saw some preview straw. stuff of, of wonder woman before it looked black as night it was just this dark dark film and then suddenly the new trailer comes out and oh she's all wearing red and gold and blue yeah. good if they basically did a reverse of the uh, the desaturated filter that they shoved onto uh, Man of Steel, then good. At least they can give us some life. Yeah, I think Wonder Woman's really going to be the 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 final chance. And I think if 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 that if that falls flat, then uh, people will still go and see Justice League in droves. You know, it. people. Yeah, but the, you know, we're talking about the the mass. The mass populace who just like you know, go into their in uh, in their droves to see all of these Hollywood blockbusters that have millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars pumped into them. They may start to see dwindling box office actually. If if they yes. keep doing things without changing things, they may start to yeah. see like eight hundred million become seven hundred, become six hundred and fifty, and then they're going to start to worry. Yeah, there there is one thing that happened um, at the end of the screening uh, that I saw because I went to the midnight screening in IMAX. For, oh, right. um, for, for, my, for my condolences. Yeah, uh, and at the end, I was sat there. Uh, I just slumped over in my in my seat, feeling just disappointed and kind of just like worn out. And then there was this uh, this probably about 18, 19 year old young lad sat next to me. Yeah, I'm saying young at my age. Uh, and uh, he get off my lawn. Get off my lawn. Uh, he he turned to his friends and went, "Well, that was the best film I've ever seen." And I I thought to myself, or? "No, no, genuinely had uh, excitement oh, in his in, in 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 his in his voice." And I just thought to myself, "Wow, you really don't watch movies, do you? Oh. <laughs> you really have not watched a lot of films in your in your short life." <laughs> oh God, get you and, some Avengers, kid. Exactly, Bob. Well, how, how do you fix TC uh, <laughs> Warner? It, it, like, I'm sure we covered this already, but uh, like after this, I don't know at this point. <laughs> I mean, this is this has been it, it's been how long is what Man of Steel was what 2012, right? 2013. 13. 2013. Okay, so it has been okay only three years. It feels like longer. It feels it like it's been. It felt like three years just watching Batman v Superman. It <laughs> it, it feels like. I've been hearing, you know, how do they fix the DC universe for three movies now? I don't know that it's fixable. Yeah. You know, they've kind of like committed to this. And I, I think the only thing they can do at this point is like, if it were me, I I'd look at it and say, okay, guys, look, the, the worst parts, uh, well, the worst parts that we can do something about of all of these things have been when we try to like link them up together. So like maybe just ease back on this, assume that everyone's going to be in Justice League and try to make these things good on their own. But I, I just don't know. Like I think like Wonder Woman hopefully is good. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, the entire future of this franchise now rests on an actress who's never headlined a movie before playing a character who's never been in a uh, you know, 
also headlined a film before with a, you know, directed by someone who the last time they were hired to do this exact same job had to leave. Oh, God, what was that project? Uh, this is Patty Jenkins on, on that, right, still? Say, say again? Patty Jenkins is still on Wonder Woman, right? All right. Yeah, what, what was she have, uh, having to leave before? Yeah, she was on Thor 2, and, and, and it very oh. publicly didn't work out, and they, uh, she was removed and replaced with Alan Taylor. And he did and, a splendid job. <laughs> yeah. No, no one really knows exactly what went wrong there, but like that was, it was presumed that they hired her exclusively because Natalie Portman made "You Will Hire a Woman to Direct This Movie" a condition for coming back to a movie she had no interest in being in, yeah. and uh, and then it didn't work out. Did you also know that Patty Jenkins actually loved Suicide Squad as well? Ooh. Okay. Yeah, I give that about. Three months. For, yeah. for, for me, the Wonder Woman. Hang on, let's. Uh, the the one thing that really threw me. Hold on. The Wonder Woman film. Okay, written by Alan Heinberg and yeah, he wrote the Young Avengers animated film. Okay, fair enough. Isn't Zack Snyder getting a writing credit or something? Yeah, story Wonder by Zack Snyder. That's, oh, if you look at the trailer, it's very Zack Snyderish. The way yeah. I, de- I described it uh, before is like that Zack Snyder's got his sticky handprints all over the DC universe. Uh, as far as I was said, this cannot be fixed until those get cleaned up. Yeah. Because he has made everything taste of Tabasco sauce, <laughs> which is his very strong flavor. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it, I, I still like Watchmen, that, um, but of the first five. DC films. He directed Man of Steel. He directed Be- Beavis Dodge. Uh, he didn't direct Suicide Squad. He's producing and done the story to um, uh, Wonder Woman, and it looks like one of his films, which suggests that he's puppeteering Patty Jenkins. I don't know. Maybe she's going to go, no, I shall direct this film, Zack Snyder. You back off. Now I'm going to direct it exactly like Zack Snyder. Uh, and he's directing Justice League. So that's three and a half of the first five movies. Sticky handprints. My yeah. question about this whole enterprise is: at, at what point do do they kind of stop Actually. being just profitable enough? Because okay, Man of Steel was very expensive, and they were sure they had a billion dollar hit, and it didn't happen. Beavis Dodge very expensive; they sure they had a billion dollar hit, it didn't happen. Suicide Squad has an inflated budget and now has to make like more than Guardians and Deadpool to turn a profit. I don't think that's going to happen. So they have a, a situation where there's films that are being seen by just enough people that they can't just sweep it under the rug like, you know, the Fantastic Four and, and reboot in a few years. Or Green Lantern. Let's just pretend that didn't happen. Or Green Lantern. Yeah. Who, they, by they, the way, I really I, feel his absence in the, uh, the, uh, the Pantheon as well. Like we watched um, Justice League War, the animated film from 2011 the other day. He's fun. Having Hal Jordan around is, is, is good fun. I mean, like, even just Jon Stewart. The Lantern Corps kind of important and they're holding it back till 2020 yeah and so i mean at what point does because they're not making movies that people really really like they're making movies that people will go to because they're well marketed Mm -hmm. but none of them have had a good um well, well none of them have had very good legs none of them have had decent like audience word of mouth none of them are classics yeah, I mean, Beavis Dodge made literally half its money on its opening weekend, which looks awful in this town. 
So I, I don't know. I don't know how they and even if Wonder Woman is good. And, you know, let's let's just assume that Wonder Woman is as good a version of what it's trying to be as, say, Captain America, the first Avenger. Yeah, that's that's still literally 100 years removed from Justice League, which is going to take just her character and probably not much else and stick her in a completely different environment. Mm. So even if people really love Diana, it's going to feel completely different when she shows up in a movie from a different guy. Yeah. Avengers didn't necessarily feel like Thor. It didn't. Anyway, um, the other th- thing that's a big problem is that they keep trying to release these films to dates. Like, they've got these dates anchored down. They've got these promotions anchored down. They've got these album deals anchored down. And they absolutely have to have them, which makes it feel like they're rolling these rocks down the hills. And then in the case of Suicide Squad, rather than, like, going, stop the rock, we need to think about this. Can't stop the rock. Can't stop the rock. Um, They've jumped on top of the rock and Scooby-Doo style, they're trying to sort of pedal it sideways across the hill <laughs> to try to re-steer it into something else, um, which just creates a mess because it crashes into the other film slash rocks. I don't know. The metaphors got off, off the rails. But, um, that but, yeah. Scooby-Doo visual is ace of base, though, Alex. That's great. <laughs> but the, I mean, the Warner Brothers have the cash to be able to just like put projects on hold and go, look, no, we need to stop and develop this and get a really good creative vision. And maybe just, like I said, I would have tried to get Zack Snyder pulled to at least like a slow pull out, like get him to producer status, then get him to like executive, well, executive comes before that. Are you talking about promoting him out of where he can do any damage? Yeah. Fail him upwards. <laughs> And then just basically make it so that the films don't look like Zack Snyder films. And then eventually it'll be like it's a bad dream at the beginning of it. But the X-Men films got way better. And then they got worse. For a bit. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, ultimately, yeah, tr- trying a really excellent new director might, might be a good idea. Because at the moment we've got nobody lined up. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, hang on. <laughs> Brendan's just typed in slow pullout is the title of Zack Snyder's secret porno. Oh, it's not a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Zack Snyder's secret porno sounds like a store that you go to where you've got to be on a, on a list to get in. Um, okay, um, let's wrap this one up because there's nothing more to say on uh, uh, Suicide Squad. I actually think I came out of this film less angry than when I came out of Beavis Dodge, less aghast, less like they have really fucked up here, but just more of a kind of... It, like the Titanic is sinking and these like buffoons went below decks and started smashing up the dining room. And it's like, it's all going to sink anyway. Who cares? Less that like, they were fucking with things that I really cared about. It was a good idea. I think now in retrospect, just uh, that they, it, it's proof that you really, really do need a, a strong vision and allow someone to stick to that. Even if that strong vision doesn't necessarily end up as the most marketable thing. Mm. It's the thing we, when we talk about all of these DC films failing, we are not hating on on uh, DC and, you know, kissing Marvel's ass. Like, a lot of keyboard warriors just seem to jump to the conclusion that people who critique movies are being paid off or, you know, have one preference over the other. I, I go into every movie I see with a, with a clear mind and I, I judge everything on everything that I see in the film. It's not, It's not a case of, well you know, Marvel's done this and Marvel's done that. I just sort of, I come out after going in with a clear mind and just draw comparisons and just see DC trying 
trying their best to to scramble up the hill and 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 catch up and take certain elements. Is it but... their best? <laughs> well, they're trying oh, their most that... expensivest. <laughs> well, yeah, that, while they're scrambling they're, up the hill, they're, trying, they're actually running on top immensely. of a boulder, Scooby Doo style, and actually <laughs> yeah, going trying... nowhere. <laughs> With the sound effects as well. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about where, like, like coming from this as a fan, I, I grew up watching the Adam West Batman and the Batman the Animated Series, and I loved Justice League. I, I was That's way more in chum. Exactly, I was way more invested in DC's properties and and you know their movies with, uh, you know Burton and and Donner and and the Bruce Tim stuff than I ever was with Marvel. I didn't care about Iron Man or Captain America, and I didn't know who the Guardians were. They just made good movies and made me more interested in checking that stuff out. And because yeah. they've made good movies, I'm interested in the characters. It's that simple. Like, watching the DC movies is kind of like watching a friend continually try and go through rehab and fail. Oh, God. This is sad for me. <laughs> I, the I, metaphors I, just keep on coming. I want them to be good because I love the characters and I'm a huge DC fan and they're just not serving these characters or stories well at all. No. It also seems like one of the recurring themes is like, you know, we're going to deliver the, uh, the, the movie versions of these characters. Just forget about the comics for a while. Oh, no, wait a second. We've now overlaid them with stuff from the comics because now we realize that that's a bad idea. And there's this sort of weird kind of push-pull between sort of like trying to deliver something new and pure, specifically from Snyder, from, from his sort of Nietzschean vision of, uh, of what the superhero constitutes and pandering to fanboys. <laughs> Which, um, pandering to fanboys is all well and good, but you, it, you are better served trying to make a really, really good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, pandering to fanboys gets you a movie that literally takes two stories meant to end their characters completely yeah. and use that as your starting point, which yeah. is a, a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah. And yeah. Dark Knight and, and, and uh, Death of Superman are literally about Batman and Superman not being anymore at all yeah. but but no that's how you start the justice league sure do that that's a great idea <laughs> okay right let's 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 wrap this one up because everybody's tired now and we don't want to talk about this uh these movies anymore um we all want to see dc do well and um you know it, it would be nicer for them to deliver us characters that we care about that was it i remember what i was going to say I think I said this during uh, Beavis Dodge. Uh, Christopher Nolan, you know, obviously took a lot of uh, cues from uh, some of the classic Batman books, but he absolutely delivered his version of Batman and sort of delivered that version of the world. And it wasn't necessarily pandering to fanboys. So, like, you know, the Lazarus Pit was just a hole in the ground. So it was there, kind of, but, you know, he, he, he had a very strong idea of what that was going to be. And mm. um, although he ended up nowhere near as uh, nowhere near topping the dark knight with rises it can be done it absolutely can be done without um casting about and trying to make people happy it, it's the enemy of art ultimately i started a joke which started the whole
Before we go, I just want to say a huge, huge thank you to Lauren Grieve for editing this episode. You really saved my arm for this week. You're a star, Lauren. If you really want to hear a great Batman story with not one but two Jokers, a carefully crafted psychological exploration of Bruce Wayne, and a mature take on The Dark Knight, then you should listen to Batman Breakdown. It's available on YouTube and on this podcast feed. My version of The Killing Joke got yanked from YouTube by Warner Brothers, but somehow it had already been stolen by someone else and reposted, so it's there if you look for it. Just search for The Killing Joke motion comic, and mine is the most viewed and least credited on YouTube. Ah, stately Wayne Manor. Come out of your cave, Batman! I've heard it all, Bruce. I know all your secrets. Every shameful one of them. The whole thing got a bit touchy-feely by the end. In fact, me and the Doc here got a bit touchy-feely on the way over, isn't that right, Doc? Jennifer, are you okay? Now this looks like the capper on the most disappointing evening I've ever had. No theatrics, no costumes, no toys. It's almost as if you're not trying. Let her go. Let her go! Yes, you really are becoming far too predictable, Batbrain. You know I'm not going to, so why even demand it of me? Go back in there, put on the damn costume, and we'll talk about endgame material. <laughs> I can confirm again that playing the Joker is skin-crawlingly horrible. It's not a headspace I like being in, it's not a laugh I like doing, and he's not someone to emulate or canonize as a hero, or idolize as a romantic figure. He's a sadistic sociopath and is meant to frighten you. And the better Batmans are the ones who distance themselves from him. Recently, there have been explorations into his character, specifically by Jeff Johns, uh, which divide the Joker into three eras and three personality types, the master criminal, the prankster, and the psychopath. Um, There's an argument to be made now that the psychopath has been so explored and and proved so fascinating to so many people that you can't just go back to Master Criminal and make him a gangster because that's exactly what they did here and that's exactly why he's failed to register as a character. He's boring. The way I see it, it's not just one of these three archetypes he fits in. They're all sliders. Each version of Joker has little sliding scales for each of those you know some of them are more pranksters and um like messing with people's heads uh the master criminal one the slider goes down with their relationship with money if they don't care about money at all if they will actively burn it they're less of a criminal and more of a prankster that's why i feel like the silver age joker who didn't harm anybody and just tied people to giant pianos and tried to rob banks Uh, He wanted money and played jokes on people, so technically you just yank the master criminal and prankster sliders all the way to the top for those, but you keep the psychopath way down. I think he's mislabeled as just a prankster in that scenario. And if the author really seeks to explore them, that's that's probably the best ground for the psychopath joker, because otherwise all you're really doing is allowing horrible things to be done by the fairly unimaginative murderer.
before my ideal way and this is a guaranteed way to make Warner Brothers bank it'll work it'll achieve exactly what you need to rescue this situation to fix the DC universe DC fans are gonna hate this they are gonna hate this especially the toxic DC fans but they're not the audience you want they're not the audience you need you need everyone Man of Steel 2, we're hearing now, like that's going to happen. Okay, right, how about this instead? Completely from scratch, J.J. Abrams' Superman. And I'm not talking about the J.J. Abrams' written Superman flyby that was originally going to be directed by McGee. I'm talking J.J. Abrams' directed Superman. Look at what he did with Star Trek, look at what he did with Star Wars. Whether you love him or hate him, it is indisputable that he breathes life into dead franchises. Because that's what the DC Cinematic Universe is rapidly becoming, if it's not already. It is moribund, if not dead. You could hold out for Wonder Woman, directed by a, a relative unknown, and puppeteered by Snyder, but I'm telling you right now, you need someone like J.J. Abrams to give Superman that treatment. Because that is the core, the heart of your... DC Universe. When you get Superman right, everything else will follow. It is feasible that if you get Wonder Woman right to the right degree, everything else will follow. It is feasible. But that movie is not going to be it. I called it. People were like, oh, the Suicide Squad trailers were really good. How come the movie ended up shit? Those Suicide Squad trailers look like absolute garbage to me. Retrofitted to make it more like, seem more like Guardians of the Galaxy when it manifestly wasn't going to be that. So I wasn't the least bit surprised when Suicide Squad ended up like it is. Oh, it's seedy and unpleasant and objectifies women. You've got David Ayer directing. That's what's going to happen. That's the best that's going to happen. And Zack Snyder has done the Zack Snyder thing time after time and will continue to do that same thing that is dramatically unappealing. Quit chasing the male gaze. Whenever Batman works out, he's doing that so that men can go, whoa, look at them abs. He's not doing that for ladies. When Thor stands up with those rippling pectorals and the armor flings onto his body, when Steve gets out of that capsule, when formerly cuddly Chris Pratt gets hosed down with orange goo in jail and you see them abs, that's so that the ladies go, hold the phone. When Ryan Reynolds' ass is squoze into that spandex, that's so that the ladies can go, okay. You're making the DC films just for the guys. Fucking fail straight away out the gate. Stop forgetting the fact that 51% of the population also like watching movies. So what, Zachary Quinto as Superman, because people have already accused Spock of being a bit too much like Superman. Fuck it, go with it. He is gorgeous. I think he's gay, but I don't think that matters, because Spock is fucking gorgeous. Totally compelling, emotionally complex alien character. Get him as Superman, get people caring about Superman, the rest will follow. J.J. Abrams, Superman, drops mic.
It's Hancock, by the way. This music is from Hancock. That fantastic Will Smith superhero film that nobody appreciates. If you've not heard our show on it yet, go back, reappraise that movie. It's actually great. On that bombshell. <laughs> Thank you guys all so, so much to uh, for, for coming on this show. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, Bob, where can people find your work? Uh, people can find me as the uh, weekly film critic at geek.com and an entertainment reporter for screenrant.com. Fantastic. And uh, Brendan, where can people find you? Um, I run the movie portion, well, co-run the movie portion of the Day One Podcast, so you can find that on SoundCloud, Day One Podcast, iTunes, Day One Podcast. You can also go to dayonepatch.com, which has a message board as well as a place where you can download the podcast because that's its site. So, And James, where can I find you? Uh, I am the host of the TDF Film Podcast. That stands for The Digital Fix. Uh, you can find that at uh, tdffilmpodcast.podbean.com. Uh, I also co-host the Game Burst Podcast, a twice-weekly gaming podcast. That can be found at gameburst.libsyn.com. And I'm also the co-host on the Renaissance Men Podcast, which uh, discusses uh, geek culture, wrestling, movies, TV, that sort of thing. And that can be found at therenaissancemenpodcast.libsyn.com. Okay, to close out, I'm going to talk a little bit about the deleted scenes, some of which have come to light since uh, we finished the recording there. Uh, Bob actually published an article with a lot of these detailed. And also some of the reactions that I've read since we talked about it. I read an assertion online that DC movies are, and this is a quote, superior to Marvel because they are not afraid to let despicable characters be despicable. Okay, let's go to the phones. Let's go to... Two choice bits that were cut out of the film, or two choice elements that were cut out of the uh, final film. Early cuts reportedly include a passing reference to Slipknot being a serial rapist, likely to further paint him as unsympathetic to the audience ahead of his own death. And early interviews showing Captain Boomerang's racism and sexism. Most of them were reportedly directed at Katana, to whom Boomerang is attracted to. So in the original cut of this film, Captain Boomerang was racist and misogynist. Um, these scenes were trimmed down to make this not the case, a decision that stands in polar opposition to the assertion that they're not afraid to let despicable characters be despicable. Um, in fact, they they made the these villains that keep reminding us over and over again that they're villains fairly toothless, except for Croc, he's got plenty of teeth. Not that this would have made the film the least bit better to watch. I don't. I. I don't necessarily think just watching a film about a bunch of absolute scumbags would have been particularly edifying, at least for me. By which I mean not just criminals, but racists, rapists, and misogynists. Yay! But for some people, clearly, yes, it would have been. So yes, Warner Brothers were and are afraid to let their villains be plain despicable. At least they were in this, since in Batman v Superman, Lex took altogether too much pleasure in gloating over the fire-based torture Martha Kent would shortly be going through. Now, Harley Quinn, being the most famous character in this, enjoying her first major big screen outing, was heavily used in the marketing, both as a strong headlining female who was one of the boys and won't intimidate those men who hate the new Ghostbusters, but also won't empower the women who do. Once again, if you like this film, that's fine. Many people that I like and respect have praised it. What I'm talking about is how the marketing has been targeted. They want to get the boys without challenging them. They want to get the girls, but in a way that doesn't stand up to deeper examination. Harley is depicted as strong and determined to make her own decisions. 
only held back by the penal system and the laws she keeps breaking for no particular reason other than her own madness. Yet she's entirely defined by her relationship with the Joker. A literal, toxic relationship with an abusive partner who occupies her mind and refuses to let her go. She is his property, living for him. These are direct quotes from the film. Or at least the final cut of the film. Here's what they took out. Joker and his men escaping after shooting up a restaurant. Harley, who is already affiliated with the Joker, follows them on a motorcycle and intercepts their car. Joker bangs his head against the glass in frustration. So basically, Jared Leto got his head all banged up for no reason. Because they took that out. Extended scene of the Joker interrogating Captain Griggs. That's what happened to Captain Griggs. Including the line, I can't wait to show you my toys. Which was in every trailer but was removed from the movie. Joker and Harley then get into a fight. So this will be later in the film. Which ends with Harley pointing a gun at Joker's head. Joker sweet-talks Harley into lowering the gun, charming her, then backhands her across the face. Afterwards, he sweet-talks her again, and they kiss. Extended scene of Joker breaking into the nanobomb manufacturing facility to arrange for Harley's neck bomb to be disabled. That's just a good practicality. More interactions between Harley and Boomerang. Early cuts apparently included her really disliking Boomerang despite growing affectionate to all the other members of the squad. Removing several scenes with the Joker to repaint his relationship with Harley as more loving rather than abusive. Joker and Harley get into an argument after he rescues her in the hijacked helicopter. In early cuts, he reportedly pushes her out to kill her. Then the helicopter gets shot down, as opposed to it apparently changing and being reworked into the helicopter getting shot down first and the Joker pushing her out to save her. And the Joker returns during the final battle in the subway station face half burnt from the helicopter crash which apparently leads to a brief altercation with the squad he calls for harley to escape with him but she refuses for once in order to help her friends and the joker escapes after throwing a live grenade at the group to cover his own escape so once again harley is his property she's living for him at least in the version we got to see this is positioned as a good thing that the fans want to see they have deliberately changed the plot that had him betray her and attempt to take control against her will on multiple occasions so if you want to get really really meta about it we the audience are the partners in the abusive relationship having scenarios warped and twisted by our abusive partner to make it seem like we aren't the victim they're literally re-editing scenes to go, Oh no, it's okay, baby. I didn't push you out of the helicopter to kill you. I was trying to save you. Their getting back together at the end is not supposed to be a good thing. And now, because of these changes, they must either address this in the next appearance or just carry on acting like they're some kind of twisted royal couple that we should be superficially besotted with. That's the thing. I've had many people say, what? what's wrong with Harley Quinn in this? She seems about the same as she is in the cartoon. Yeah, she seems about the same as she is in the cartoon. That had problems. And there were episodes like Mad Love, which addressed the fact that the Joker was clearly bad for her and that she was ill in that she couldn't get away from him. They don't even go as deep as the animated show. It seems like they were banking on the mass audiences just going, well, Joker and Harley are together, and that's right. It's kind of amazing that the most frothing, angry DC fanboys were the ones defending Batman v Superman. Go, They're called parademons! Like, if you just read a DC comic... Folks, if you've read more recent DC comics featuring Harley Quinn, you will, of course, know 
that she got away from the Joker. She's now shacked up with Poison Ivy, who has been extremely supportive of her in the getting away from that particular abusive relationship. This movie does not set up that scenario in any kind of strong way for a later instalment. So to play us out, here is a song that Harley is introduced with, which is You Don't Own Me by Grace featuring G-Eazy. This is a song that should have been about her regaining her agency from the Joker. Instead, it's prison, you don't own me. Just simple as that. So this movie, Suicide Squad, was originally about Harley attempting to break free in more ways than one. In the end, it was just Christian Grey in clown makeup breaking into prison to take possession of his floozy once more. Ugh. You don't own me. But I'm Gerald, and I can always have just what I want She's the baddest, I would love to flaunt Take her shopping, you know Eve Saint Laurent But nope, she ain't with it though All because she got her own dough Boss, boss, if you don't know She could never ever be a broke You don't own me I'm not just one of your many toys You don't own me Don't say I can't go with the boy Smoke with her until the Stand up until we see the sun The baddest ever Swear she do it better Than I ever seen it done yeah. Never fall, she ain't never alone It's when she told me she ain't Never, ever, ever, ever gonna be on Somebody like me before though.